You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. The way to be victorious in spiritual battle is to praise God and proclaim the Word of God. That is how to be victorious in spiritual battle. It is God's will for you that you walk in victory. He's already wrought the victory. Walk in it. The victory is yours. Greater is He that is in you than the devil that is in the world. He cannot do anything to you. Do you know how to be victorious in a spiritual battle? Today, Pastor J.D. teaches you through his message that the way to be victorious in a spiritual battle is to praise God and proclaim the Word of God. God's desire is for you to walk in the victory that He has already given to you. With Christ in you, you are more than a conqueror. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Psalms, chapter 149, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. These are real men and women in Scripture. They had personalities, they had temperaments, they had, you know, just, they were real people. And I pictured David as being a really passionate, excitable, animated, demonstrative. I mean, (laughs) he was an artist after all. You know how those artists are, those musicians, you know how they are, right? And so he is so elated and just so excited, and he wants to praise the Lord. And so he takes off his kingly robe and starts dancing, dancing unto the Lord, unbeknownst to him, his wife, Michal, Saul's daughter. Very interesting. You know, this is the the wife that Saul gave to David for slaying Goliath. There were two things that Saul promised to anybody that would defeat this uncircumcised Philistine. They would get his daughter in marriage, and they would not have to pay taxes for the rest of their life. I'll take number two behind what's door number two. (laughs) But Mikal, as his wife, she was uh, actually, I think, very bitter. And she, unbeknownst to David, is watching him as he's dancing. I mean, he's just, he doesn't care what people think. He's dancing unto the Lord. He's lifting his voice and he is praising and singing and dancing to the Lord. And then he gets home, and there's wifey. He walks in the door. He's just, he's still probably walking a foot off the ground. So excited, so, so just, I mean, full of joy. And his wife says to him, well, look at you. (laughs) Dancing like that in front of all the women. How embarrassed, you embarrass yourself. What were you thinking? Take off your kingly robe, become like the common man, and you start dancing like that, like a fool, like a clown? What's the matter with you? You're sleeping on the couch tonight. 
I mean, I'm, I'm sorry for the over-dramatizing, but that's basically what it was like. And David, I mean, his heart, of course, is sinking. And you know what happened as a result of that? God made it so that she would never have children. In the Middle Eastern culture, to be barren is seen as a curse from God, because children are a blessing, the fruit of the womb. In fact, when my wife and I, my parents were still alive at the time, huge Arab family on the mainland, and we couldn't have children. It took us 10 years. And there were those in my family that really, truly believed. I I can't blame them. That's what they were brought up believing, is that there was a curse. And that's why she was barren. That's how it was seen. But David, we're told, never went into her anymore, probably never was with her ever again. And because of that, she was barren for the rest of her life because of what she did in her response to the zeal and the joy and the celebration and the praising of King David. So, Let them praise His name with the dance. Let them sing praises to Him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. Again, there it is. Did you catch it? It is so pleasurable to Him. It is so pleasing to Him. When we praise Him, it pleases Him and it's good for us. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. (laughs) Let them sing aloud on their beds. You'll forgive me. I, I know I've shared this before, and please don't misunderstand my heart, but I don't think we have any idea what awaits us in glory when we're praising the Lord. I mean, this is just a taste, what we have now when we sing. But I think we hold back, and I'll, I'll even say that of myself sometimes. You know, we're all, I'll just kind of, you know, we'll, we'll just sing, Lord, I will give you all my worship. I will, you know, really? You know, and, and we're afraid that, you know, I don't have the greatest voice, and so sometimes I get you know, maybe concerned if I sing too loud, somebody's going to hear me and they're going to, you know, and then God forbid you get the words wrong. Oh my goodness, and you're mortified, right? Make a joyful noise, a joyful noise. Sing aloud. Yeah, but I'm not very good. No, it doesn't matter. Sing aloud. Lift your voice up and praise Him. (laughs) Now verse 6, I want you to kind of put this in your pocket for just a moment, because we're going to come back to it. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Hang on to that. Verse 7. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people's to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute, verse 9, on them the written judgment. This honor have all His saints. Praise the Lord. 
and again. It ends the same way it begins. Okay. Will you just indulge me for just a bit? I want to point out a very powerful truth about spiritual warfare that's woven into the fabric of this magnificent psalm. When the psalmist writes in verse 6, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. You know what he's speaking of? He's speaking of the weapon that God has given us to praise the Lord with the word of the Lord. Praise God with the word of God. This is how we defeat the enemy. Let me explain. Satan hates it when we praise the Lord. You know why? Because he wanted to be praised. He wanted to be worshiped. That's why he was cast out of heaven. He wanted to ascend his throne above the Most High. He wanted to be worshiped. He was the worship leader after all, by the way. He was the angel of the music. Beautiful. And, and he got lifted up in pride and he exalted himself. And he declared, I will ascend my throne above the Most High. And then he was cast out of heaven to earth. And to this day, throughout all of the generations, he has gotten the worship of man. Uh, probably need to explain what I mean by that. You know when uh, these bands, these musicians have these concerts and you see these people at these concerts, they're, they're worshiping Satan unwittingly. But these musicians have sold their soul to the devil for rock and roll, for fame, for fortune. And that, that's, let me see if I can remember, very famous rock star. At the end of one of his concerts, this is many years ago, had an altar call for people to come forward at his concert. And some of them had hands laid on them and they started speaking in an unknown language. Satan is the master counterfeiter. He can counterfeit everything. There's one thing he cannot counterfeit, the resurrection. He cannot counterfeit a resurrection of the dead. Everything else he can counterfeit. He tries to imitate and counterfeit the Holy Spirit, but it's an evil spirit. It's a de demonic spirit. And that is what, that's where he's getting his praise and his worship. And by the way, there's a distinction, a delineation between praise and worship. Just because I, I praise somebody doesn't mean I'm worshiping them. Like for example, I can praise David and Gail for a job well done, or Chris, and, and, and I can give them praise. But that doesn't mean I'm worshiping them. To praise somebody is to acknowledge them, because they're worthy. They, de they deserve it. But worship, well, that's a whole different animal. That's where you're paying homage and you are worshiping them. Worship, the word worship comes from two words, worthship. Worship. He is worthy of all of our praise, all of our worship. Satan cannot stand it. Now I need to mention this, and, and please hear me out on this. Satan cannot stand it when you 
praise the name of the Lord. I do this out loud. I will say and sometimes sing, even when I don't feel like it, but I will always make sure to sing or say the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Satan hates that. I praise you, Jesus. I give you all my worship, all the glory. Do your name, Jesus. There is no other name, Jesus, like your name, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. He's out of here. And not a moment too soon. That's what the psalmist is saying. When we praise the Lord, Satan has to flee. Now, that's the praise that we have in our mouth, but we have something in our hand. And it's a two-edged sword. You know what that is, right? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 says that, and it's the only offensive weapon in this spiritual armor that God has given us to battle against the enemy. And please know that we are not fighting the good fight of faith for victory. We are fighting from victory. The devil is already a defeated foe. And sometimes I like to remind him of that. And I do it out loud. I try not to do it in public, because if you do it in public, people think, you know, that this, this guy needs to be institutionalized. That may very well be, but sometimes I will say, Satan, you're a liar. You're a liar. You're a defeated foe. Get out! I do it just like that. Then my wife and my kids and my, my family comes running upstairs. Is everything okay? Yeah, everything's good now. <laughs> Because I've resisted him and he has to flee. And it's the only offensive weapon. We have the belt of truth, which holds everything together. The breastplate of righteousness protects the vital organs, the heart, the shoes of peace, the helmet of salvation to protect the mind. Satan attacks the mind. That's the first thing he attacks, because that's the communication center. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. I think Christians, we err greatly when we're dismissive of the role that the mind plays. You know, we're, we're, we dismiss it under the banner of, that, oh, that's, you know, that's new age, that's, you know, positive thinking. No, 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 no. Don't let the enemy get away with throwing the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. God has given us this powerful mind. It's the communication center. It's this intellect that he's given us. And Satan knows it. He can't read our minds, but he can certainly put thoughts in our minds and attack our minds. And so the helmet of salvation protects the minds, the thoughts. And you know, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 through 6, I think it is, he talks about pulling down strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? I know this is going to be deeply profound. Something that has a stronghold. <laughs> That's a, I know, again, deeply profound, right? But it's, it's an area in your life that Satan has a hold on you. And, and it's strong. He has this strength over you, this power over you, and this hold on you. And you and I have the ability to destroy it, to demolish it, to pull it down. How? by taking every thought captive 
into the obedience of Christ. Our weapons are not carnal. They're spiritual. This is a spiritual battle we're fighting, and we need to have spiritual weapons, not the weapons that the world uses. God has given us this armor to protect us. It's all defensive. Notice there's no armor for the back, the breastplate, the, the belt, the shoes, the helmet, the shield of faith that you that extinguishes the flaming arrows of the missile one, of the evil one. There's no, no covering for the back. In other words, don't run from him. You know, the, the enemy is more fearful of us than we should ever be of him. But you know, of all of that that is in there, in that armor, spiritual armor, there's only one piece that's offensive, and it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And when Jesus was attacked by Satan, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and he is starving, literally almost starving to death. And Satan, interesting, waits until that, that optimum time, and then he attacks and tempts. How did Jesus defeat him? He did not defeat him in his divinity as God. He could have. He defeated him in his humanity so that we would have a template, if you will, by which we too can defeat him. How did he do it? Oh, the sword, the sword. (laughs) Nice try. It is written. He didn't argue with Satan. He just used the sword. It is written. It is written. It is written. He resisted him. He defeated him. He used the two-edged sword of God's Word. Interesting, by the way, if you ever want to do a study on this, the scriptures that Jesus quoted when he was uh, attacked in the uh, wilderness all came out of the book of Deuteronomy. Very interesting. Let me say this. The way to be victorious in spiritual battle is to praise God and proclaim the Word of God. That is how to be victorious in spiritual battle. It is God's will for you that you walk in victory. He's already wrought the victory. Walk in it. The victory is yours. Greater is He that is in you than the devil that is in the world. He cannot do anything to you. Satan has to get permission from God before he can even touch a hair on your head. God gave him a lot of permission on a few of the hairs on the top of this head. but And God will only allow the enemy to do something to us if in the end it's for his glory and our good. That's the only reason. You can ask Job about it when we get to heaven. I think it's going to be a long line of people wanting to talk to Job. Dude, I mean, wow, man. What was that like? Are you kidding me? Charles Spurgeon wrote, The Word of God is all edge. Whichever way we turn it, it strikes deadly blows at falsehood and wickedness. If we do not praise, we shall grow sad in our conflict. And if we do not fight, we shall become presumptuous in our song. As you have the sword of the Spirit, which is two-edged, which is indeed all edge, (laughs) go forth and praise God by the use of that two-edged sword, which is the Word of God. Psalm 150. Ah, 
the last psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him, here it is again, with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. And then as we have just together sung, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wow. Probably goes without saying, but Psalm 150 is the perfect psalm to bring a powerful end to this profound book. And it's summed up perfectly in this last verse. And again, we, we sing the song, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. But the psalmist is declaring, and as if to put this beautiful bow with all of its beautiful colors and tie it around all of these psalms. We could travel down memory lane if we wanted to. We won't. Remember Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm? How about Psalm 57? How about Psalm 119, the longest of all the Psalms? How about Psalm 32? How about Psalm 34, Psalm 37? I mean, all of the Psalms. It's it's like putting this, you can sum it up this way. Praise the Lord! Yeah, but some of those Psalms started off pretty gnarly, pretty depressing. I mean, David is, I mean, he's so down. And then by the time you get to the end of the psalm, his circumstances haven't changed. He has. He goes from, it's like this. I was thinking about this the other day. This this might make a good song. Somebody needs to write this uh, song. You go from please God to praise God. In other words, please God. Praise God. You go from please God to praise God. That sums it up. You can sum up the entirety of the book with those words. Praise the Lord. Thanks for taking the time to listen today to In Spirit and Truth. Pastor J.D. has been taking us through the book of Psalms, detailing the author's messages of hope and pain, joy and sorrow. You may have found today that you identified with the sentiments expressed in today's passage. And if that's the case, we encourage you to explore more. Dive into the Word yourself and ask God to reveal additional love and personal truth that He knows you need to hear today. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings in Psalms 2, you can find them online at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Are you a part of a community of believers? 
if you haven't yet found a church that you can call home, we'd like to urge you to remedy that soon. A church family can be a source of support, a cheering squad, and most importantly, a group of faithful prayer warriors. This is also a place you can give of your unique talents in support of others as well. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you have a standing invitation to be part of our family of believers. Come join Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find out more at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. There's a lot to discover at our website, including a link to our mobile app, social media pages, and Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Updates. That website, one more time, is inspiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have for today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of Psalms, right here on In Spirit and Truth. <laughs> 